Well, good morning again. Good to see you. If we've never had the chance to meet, my name is Joshua Kirstein. I'm the preaching pastor here at Disciples Church. Uh, we are the First Baptist Church of Bakersfield, a long-standing history in our city going back 129 years. Um, we uh, still have three standing campuses over that long uh, history. The old church house on Truxton across from City Hall was our home from the 30s to the 70s. The old Olive Drive campus that now is uh, another campus for Valley Baptist was our home from the 70s until 2014. And then we recently were able to build this new campus out here in the Northwest and are so thankful to be meeting new people and having families join us to grow in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to make disciples unto the nations, and just the transformation of life, the hope and joy and love and peace that we're discovering in Christ is truly the best thing ever. And it's just my deep prayer for you this Christmas. We're focusing on Advent, uh, taking a break from our sermon series through the letter of James. We're going to pick that up next week as we move into the new year. Uh, but for these weeks of December, we're looking at the Advent, um, this time of year annually where we celebrate the birth of the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Um, today we're looking at the fourth emphasis of Advent, which as you've picked up already through our reading that the Reitzmas did and um, the songs we've sung, that emphasis today is on joy. Advent literally means the arrival or the coming and so we are joyful to celebrate today the arriving, the arrival of lasting joy in Jesus Christ. As we look back in the last three weeks of our series, we've come to understand that the hope that we find in Jesus is different than the hope the world gives. The, the love that we have in Jesus is different than the love the world gives. The peace that we know in Jesus is different than the world's peace. And it's the same for joy, as we'll see today. The joy that we experience in knowing and trusting Jesus is far better and different than the world's joy. Joy is something that I think many of us don't really understand. We use it as a replacement for happiness or happiness as a replacement for joy. But while there's similarities, the difference is everything. And I pray you can come to understand that with me here this morning. Um, ways to think about this topic um, as I was preparing and had thought about how we've talked about it in the past. Uh, the Declaration of Independence, uh, July 4th, 1776. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I've always liked to comment on that unique phrase at the end. The pursuit of happiness. The others are rights, but why is happiness to be pursued? Almost chased. And the simple reality is because it is fleeting by nature. Things that make you happy come and go. And it's the reality of life. Uh, this is why it sells so well. People who are in the business of selling happiness have a good business model. 
Because happiness doesn't last very long, so you've got to come back for more. That's the greatest way. Those of you who know business, you find a way to not sell something once, but to keep people coming back again and again. And we live in a society, right, where everyone's peddling happiness. The legion of professional advertisers to tell you that happiness can be found in a bottle or in a certain substance or in a new lover or in a a new car. Uh, Think of all the ads that are just upon you all day, every day. Um, things that are selling you process. So, so the, the, the pitch is do this or follow these steps and then you'll be happy. Or sometimes the pitch is stuff. If you would just own this, or wear this, then you'll be happy. Or relationships, be this kind of person or be with this kind of person and you'll be happy. Or destination. I mean, Disneyland declares it's the happiest place on earth, right? They haven't had to rebrand that. Why? Because it's universal. Because happiness is fleeting. Because even though you've been there 1,800 times and you like it, you still want to go back again. And if you've moved past Disneyland, for those haters in the room, (laughs) then there's always Vegas, right? Vegas, baby. Some of you might relate with what I'm about to say, and I, and I hope you do. You've, you've had maybe the discipline to master the skill of life, to make good money, to have success, to form relationships with, with known or beautiful people. Um, you've traveled to some amazing destinations. You've truly lived the American dream. But what I've found in 20 years of pastoral ministry of Preaching and teaching and counseling with people and getting very real with people as they let me into their lives is to find that this fun that the world's selling, that people have claimed to have, it's enjoyable for a season, for a moment. And maybe for a lifetime, but, but then what? And, and it might mean many moments of great happiness in your life, but the reality is it's still fleeting. You still have to chase it, you have to keep it coming. For many of you, the idea of true and lasting joy is just a foreign concept. That you would have a joy that would be sustaining despite your circumstances. And another way to observe the struggle and why this is such an important message for us today. Uh, Consider just some statistics with me. The the number one category of prescription drugs in our great American dream society is antidepressants. With 118 million people prescribed, and that's a not even recent stat, 25% of all adults are recorded to have had major depressive episodes. 8% of adolescents are recorded to have major depressive episodes. The pursuit of happiness is defined in broad terms by what? By do great in school, have a good job, own a cool house, 
Go on sweet vacations. Marry the love of your life and have healthy kids, right? I mean, those are some of the big ones. But before you run too hard down that road, let me just stop and ask, what if you don't have those things? What if those things don't happen to you? What if you don't do great in school? What if you lose your dream job? What if your health totally fails you? What if you, in that dream house you bought, now you're totally house poor? What if you don't have healthy kids? For many, this means discontentment, disappointment, and even depression. Blaise Pascal once said, We tend to be miserable, so we create diversions. And we do this today, right? Our face is buried in our iPhones. Or Android phones, sorry. (laughs) We're always online or logging many hours in front of the TV. We're over-drinking lost in hours of video gaming, we're overworking, we're overeating, we're trying to be distracted. We're trying to be satisfied in fleeting things. But these things won't, they won't answer our lack of happiness. And if they do, it's momentary. And what does all this tell us? It tells us that the pursuit of happiness is an endless road to nowhere. It's a perpetual chase. Church, what we have to see this morning is that we need and want something greater than happiness. We want joy. See, joy is different because your joy is not based on circumstances, but it's based in God. It's a reality. It's It's something you have because of who you are with God that is not dependent on your circumstances. So to experience true and lasting joy, we must go to God's Word. And we must look to Christ, who is the arrival of lasting joy. Let me just pray real quick before we go to God's Word. Father, I thank you for for each person here today. Thank you for your divine appointment that on this day, um, December 23rd, 2018, um, we'd be in the church house in a church that's going to long to preach faithfully your word, that I would get out of the way of the fullness and the truth of your word, that Holy Spirit would do his mighty work in our lives, that you would love us enough to not leave us where we are, Lord, you know often my prayer is that and the greatest thing I would ask for those that I love and I've been praying for is that you would would wreck them. You would help them see their desperate need for Jesus and not leave them lost in the woods of, of trying to figure it out with temporary things, but that you'd give them eyes to see and ears to hear, to submit, to humble themselves, and cling to Jesus in every way to be reborn and know true and lasting joy. I pray it be so.
In Jesus' name, amen. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, is where we'll be today. You want to grab your Bibles. If you need a Bible, we have them in the back there. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take that home with you and make it yours. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are your four Gospels. Luke, the third, in, in its order, in the canon. Chapter 2, 8 through 20, you'll recognize our Christmas narrative that we're in today as we look at lasting joy. And it goes like this, starting with verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, for you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all that they had seen and heard as it had been told them. The word of our Lord. First notice with me that they, the angels say, Behold, we bring you good news of great joy. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Uh, this is just like the news that we looked at a. Last week, that Ahaz, King Ahaz, way long ago, 700 plus years before this event, prophecy of the birth of the Messiah in this little town of Bethlehem would be the hope, the peace of God's people. And remember, we talked about Ahaz and all the surrounding conflict and all the turmoil they were in. And that was the word of the Lord, is a baby's going to be born. And I talked to you last week about, how is that good news? You, talk, you know, we're in the middle of war, we're about to lose our lives, and you're saying a baby's going to be born. So what? And, and the same here goes for these shepherds. You know, like, that, that's, the, that's the good news of great joy is a baby's born. So what? And I, and I think if we're honest, sometimes we can think that way about Christmas. All this about this historical event of this one kid that was born. Like, so what? What does that do for me here, for me now? And until you really get what God 
has done in the incarnation, that is God the Son taking on flesh, what that means, His birth, His arrival, what that means for our lives. Until we get that, it's so easy just to see this as a historical event that really doesn't have much bearing on my present day life or struggles. Proclamation of the baby being born is not enough. Christmas is not just about a baby being born who brings with him a new religion to follow and people are getting caught up in that. Christmas is about the arrival of lasting joy. I mean, do you, do you get that? Do you have that? Church, this is good news. What they're saying, what Jesus' arrival means because of who this baby is and what he came to do. What I love about God choosing to bring this news to shepherds is the symbolism that comes with shepherds and these shepherds in particular about who Jesus is and what he came to do. So a little bit of context helps us to see a little more of why this is such great news. First, the announcement of Jesus' birth, the Messiah's birth. I mean, this is something that had been promised by God at the fall of mankind, prophesied about, looked forward to by generations, all generations of mankind, since Adam and Eve, to the promised Redeemer. First mention of this is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This news was the news mankind was waiting for. It should have been given to the highest ranking officials and news publications of the day to announce it from every corner of the globe. And yet God ordains that this news starts, the wake of the news starts with shepherds on a hillside. Not the wealthy or the high-ranking in society, but the humble, maybe even the marginalized. I love this because it's news for people like you and me as well. Let me remind us of another layer of the contest that makes little old Bethlehem and these shepherds really unique. You remember the Advent reading that our children's director, Jason Knott, his wife Kelly, and their oldest boy Tanner did a couple weeks ago was from the Old Testament book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. Let me remind you of one of those verses. It says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrath, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, who is coming forth from of old, from ancient of days, from eternity. Prophecy long ago about the birth of the Messiah in this little unknown town. It'd be like you grew up on the in the east you know, Maine or New York and news of the most important person ever born that he's going to be born in this town called Shafter. 
And they're like, where? Now, we all know where Shafter is, right? Got some representatives from Shafter in the house. But, but in the east side, in the east coast, they don't know, right? And so that's what this was. And another name for Bethlehem is for Epithrath or, or Ephrath. And we see that in the Genesis account, going back even further. Genesis 35, 19 through 21, Rachel died and is buried on the way to Ephrath. This is Bethlehem. Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Israel, that's Jacob's new name, moved on again and pitched his tent beyond Migdal Eder. Migdal Eder means herd tower. And it was historically understood that Migdal Eder was just outside of Bethlehem. And throughout the Old Testament narratives, we we see that the herd tower is used by shepherds to watch over the sheep. Over time, Migdal Eder became a place historically where many of the sheep were raised for all of the migrants who would come into Jerusalem once a year for the Passover and would need to stop along the way to gather their offerings, to gather their spotless lambs. And so likely these different locations outside of Jerusalem like this would have been places where the sheep that these particular shepherds and all the larger region were raising these lambs that would be used for sacrifice. So in Luke, when it says there are shepherds living out in the fields nearby, this is likely the same kind of shepherds, the same location. And what's cool to me is that the shepherds in charge of raising and caring for the sacrificial sheep used by the people at the annual Passover are the ones asked to go identify the Messiah and announce his arrival to the earth. They were assigned to identify the true sacrificial lamb, the true and only one ever born without blemish of mankind. Thirty years later, John the Baptist will announce the Messiah's arrival in this way. John 1.29 The next day, John, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who is the baby in the manger that we celebrate every Christmas? He is the Christ. That word means the Messiah, the promised Redeemer. He is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Church, Christmas is not a time to stop and celebrate a religious holiday and sing some religious songs and give out some religious gifts. It's a time to celebrate the arrival of lasting joy. Good news of great joy. A joy that transcends our happy circumstances and the times when life is going well. A joy that flows out of the core of our very being. It flows out of the transformation of our very lives. When the scriptures say that those who trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior are reborn, 
a new reality, spiritual reality. The scriptures are clear that before faith in Jesus Christ, you are dead in sin, physically alive, doing your thing, but spiritually dead, rightly separated from the holy God because of your sin. And that sin must be paid for for the holy God to receive you in his presence. And so this idea that somehow you've lived a good life, you've done good things, is is an arrogant view of the holiness of God. That somehow whatever good you've done is going to be good enough. The scriptures are clear that it is not. That you must be made new. That all of your sin, past, present, future, must be paid for. must be atoned. And there's only one who can do that. The Lamb of God, who is spotless and without sin. The Son of God, who came and took on flesh to die in the place of his people. That we might trust in him with our lives and be born again. To know him. Cherish him. To know a joy that is beyond our circumstances. And maybe you see it in some other people who you're here with. You see a change. It's bigger than religion. There's something real that's happening in their lives. There's a transformation. That's a spiritual work of God. And there is a joy that transcends our circumstances that they're experiencing. I pray you would know it too. We're alive in Christ. If you trust your life to Jesus, if you'll turn from your sin and trust your life to Jesus, that he would be Lord of your life. In Christ alone, we are saved from death and from sin. We are made new, and no matter what the world may throw at us, in Christ we have been restored to a right relationship with God, and therefore we can enjoy God, know God and enjoy him, who is the greatest prize to ever be given. This is why the angels say this is good news of great joy. It's not just about a baby being born, let's go have a baby shower. And an annual party that we'll throw every year. It's about what that ba- who that baby is and what he came to do. And if you trust your life to him, then you will know joy like you've never known happiness before. Stop and just look at what the arrival of Christ meant to these shepherds. The angels say, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And suddenly there was with the angels a magnitude of the heavenly host praising God and singing. The most glorious choir. Worshiping God. Seeing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. <clears throat> when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over there to Bethlehem and see these things that have happened and which the Lord has made known to us, revealed to us. And they went with haste. That, that, that doesn't mean they said, hey, Tony, let's circle it up, let's pack it up, we'll leave in a couple hours, and we'll, we'll get there. No, they just, let's go. And they just went. Yeah, 
They're excited. They're full of joy. They're overwhelmed. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, just as it had been told. And when they saw it, it says, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. What does that mean? They announced it. They shared it. They didn't remain politically correct. They, they left that place making noise down the streets, talking to anyone that they could. They made it known. They, they testified this good news. And all who heard it, it says, wondered what the shepherds told them. They were in wonder. They were in, they were in awe. It wasn't just passive news. It caused them to, to wonder. Could this be? Is this? What does this mean? Mary, it says, treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She, she, she treasured. She, she, she pondered. She, she was in awe. It boggled her. I love that. I love when we read God's Word and, and these truths of God come to life. And, and, you, and you can't just read it and go, yeah, and then move on. You, it, it boggles you. It causes you to have to stop and, and do some business. Mary's welling up with worship, with awe. She's, she's treasuring what God has done. And the shepherds, it says in verse 20, returned, glorifying and praising God. Now they're dancing on the way back to the hillside, singing out for, for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The prophecy is true. The announcement of the angels is true. This is happening. And they are stoked. But notice with me, circumstantially, nothing has changed for these shepherds. They weren't given a, this really cool new iPad that helps them manage their flock different. Nike shoes that, you know, make them jump higher. They, you know, cool new duds to wear. And nothing circumstantially had changed for them. Everything about them, what they wore and owned and the sheep they were tending to and the hillside that they were on, it's all the same. The good news of the arrival of Christ and what that meant, meant great joy. What would it be like for you to know true and lasting joy that has nothing to do with your horizontal circumstances? I pray you know it. I pray you know Jesus. Trust him. Nothing had changed, and yet everything had changed because of who arrived and what God was about to do. Joy has arrived for us, too. This is what the Advent is meant to do for us at Christmas, to remind us 
of his arrival, of his coming. The arrival of lasting joy. The good news that, that I can put down my relentless chase of the treasures of the horizontal identity that can be gone like that. And I can know joy, true joy, despite those things. True peace. Hope for eternity that I didn't have before. Love. It's not based on my performance, but based on what God has done on my behalf. That we can rejoice even in the midst of great trial and hardship. Not because the cards have finally fallen our way, but because no matter our circumstantial situations or trials or fears, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for those who trust in him to die to self, to to have him be the Lord of their lives, means eternal life and lasting joy. And this is what Jesus meant when he's teaching the disciples years later. When he says in John chapter 16, turn there with me, you're in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the next gospel over, chapter 16. Look there with me, we'll spend our time here as we begin to wrap up. Jesus says in verse 20 of John 16, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. And the world will rejoice at your demise. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Jesus is undergirding the disciples with truth Telling them that following him, following Christ, will mean sorrow and suffering. That there is a horrendous lie that is sold from pulpits in modern day called the prosperity gospel. That basically pitches a sales pitch that you believe in Jesus and everything's going to be good for your health, you'll have money, you'll... Everything's going to go right. It's a total manipulation. It's not the word of God. But people buy it. They, 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 they buy into it. Jesus himself says it's going to be hard. Don't be unaware, church. Don't be naive or guilty of ignoring the reality that the Christian life in this world, in this time, will not work right for us. We are foreigners here when we stand with Christ. But we want it to. We want it to work right for us. We want our kids to be safe. We want our our fair chance to succeed. But our kids are not safe. And we're not going to be given a fair chance. The authorities of that day are going to get away with lying about Jesus. They're going to be successful in murdering the only innocent man to have ever lived and giving him the death of a criminal on a cross. The disciples would go on after Christ's death and resurrection to to give up their lives. Most of them would die for their faith. 
take regular beatings, false imprisonments for standing for and preaching the name of Jesus. If you think that if you add Jesus to your life, you will no longer suffer or experience hardship, stop it. Just stop right now. If you think Christianity or your church attendance, you do that, you'll have a better life, an easier life. You won't. Someone else is selling that. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not true. But truly submitting to and knowing Jesus will mean that you truly know and have lasting joy. Jesus says it clear. You, you will struggle. You will have suffering and sorrow. But your sorrow will turn into joy. The promise of God for us. This is what we cling to. This is what we know in Christ. This is the truth that, that picks us up. We're in the pit of despair as life is coming at us and crumbling. When our health is failing. When our loved ones are abandoning. When our boss is firing. When our kids are running. Peter will say it, 1 Peter 4, 12-13, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes your way to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. He's saying, don't be that guy that says, oh yeah, I walk in the name of Jesus, so I've got this bubble around me, nothing bad's going to happen to me. Don't act like that, like something strange is going on. You've, that's not what the Word teaches. It's going to be hard, we're going to be persecuted, we're going to suffer but he says, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Like Peter says, like Jesus has said, Paul says it too. Paul says it again and again and again. In his letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, 24, I rejoice in my sufferings, he says. He has joy in the midst of his sufferings. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God for Christ in you. To the Ephesians in chapter 5 verse 20 he says give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 5.41 it says they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. In Romans 5.3 it says we rejoice in our sufferings. Will there be pain? Will there be sorrow? Will there be hardship? Yes. But do not be surprised, Peter says at the fiery trial, as though something strange were happening to you. But it also tells us as we experience these things, there is a fountain of joy that we have in Christ. The world cannot touch it. It is secure in Him. This is how Paul is able to say to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 6.10 that he is sorrowful, experiencing real sorrow, and yet always rejoicing. That means he's a crazy person or that his joy is not linked to his horizontal reality. It is linked to who he is in Christ. I plead with you not to dismiss this truth today. Some of you are missing who Christ is through and through. You claim Christianity. You claim Jesus. But your lives, you don't, tr you don't truly live like you know the fullness of who he is to you. 
Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. For a little while, meaning it's temporary. Believers rejoice in the midst of our suffering in this temporary state because we know what this life is compared to eternity. Suffering in your life, in your life, might not be brief. But it will be brief in comparison to eternity. Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Hmm. Psalm 34.19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Hear this today. Neither the Old Testament or the New Testament promises that believers will escape affliction in this life. But God in His sovereignty uses suffering to do eternal things in the lives of His people to carry out His eternal purposes for His glory and others' good and our joy. Jesus goes on in John 16, verse 22. He says, And no one will take your joy from you. Not only will your, your sorrow turn into joy, but no one will be able to take it from you. Because true joy is established and held by God. It's not based on your circumstances or on your performance. It's not like happiness that's fleeting, that's momentary, that's dependent on our stuff or what other people think about us or what our bank account says. It's dependent on God. Held by His power. Look back with me to the words of Peter again in 1 Peter 1, 3-5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance <coughs> that is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It's kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power, by His power, are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Remember, Paul, uh, Peter's audience here as he writes this letter are, are what he defines in the opening of the letter as the elect exiles. Those whom God has chosen, His people, who are in exile. If you are in Christ, you are in exile in this land, in this time. You belong to another king and live for another kingdom and are here as sojourners to testify of the gospel until he calls you home in his perfect time. And our exile will be hard. Christ has saved you to a living hope. It's made possible by him and it is secured by him. So this, this joy, this treasure, our inheritance, it says it's imperishable. It, that means it will not end, it will not run out. It will not go bad. Our inheritance is undefiled. That means it's holy, it's pure. Our inheritance cannot lose its luster or value or beauty over time. 
Our inheritance is secure. No one will take your joy from you, is what Jesus says. Who who is going to break you if you belong to Jesus out of God's grip? No one. Not even Satan. Church, we need to see that our security is not divine walls of protection around the heavenly city. It's bigger than that. It is active. It's present. It's the joy of knowing God, of being His, His adopted child, of being restored to Him, being secured by Him, being used by Him for His purposes in this time, knowing that we will enjoy Him for eternity. Jesus says in John 10, 27-29, He says, My sheep, they hear My voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. God will not lose any that he has saved. John 6, 39, This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given to me I shall lose nothing, but shall raise it up on the last day. So you look in the eyes of someone who's dying with cancer, their body riddled with a terrible disease, who knows Christ, and they're like, I don't get it. You're you're totally collapsing, and yet you're filled with joy. Because I know who I am. And I know what's coming. Not based on like this economy of spiritual things that I've drummed up. Sadly, many loved ones we know will say, you know what, I'm good with God. I've decided that I'm good. Who are you to decide that you're good, that you get to decide the economy by which you're good with God? This is a deception and a lostness a trick of the enemy beyond anything else. No, no, that that we would know the word of God as he's revealed it and would be good with him only based on the way that he said it's possible to be. You know Jesus. You've trusted your life to him. And that he is your joy and your identity and your peace and giving purpose to your days. Because without that, then what's it for? The richest man who ever lived, King Solomon, had it all. He had all the pleasures of the horizontal word. And he said, it is all meaningless without knowing God. Church, he did not make a mistake in our election. He does not make a mistake in the cross. He does not make a mistake in our new birth. And he does not make a mistake in enduring us to the end. Therefore, we can take away nothing and take away our greatest joy. He has us. Our joy that it is to belong to Christ. Jesus concludes this little portion of John 16, 23 through 24. He says, In that day you will ask, <clears throat> In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father, in my name, so we're going to go to the Father in prayer, 
He'll give it to you. Until you, until now you have asked nothing in my name, asking you will receive that your joy may be full. Church, don't forget who you are and who you live for. If you belong to Jesus, we ask in the name of Jesus. And we want to do God's work. We belong to him. We want to fulfill his will. We want to align ourselves with God and his perfect plan to accomplish his perfect will. And we get to do this. We get to participate in the work of his name for his glory and for our joy. I often say in many of my emails or Facebook posts, text to others, for his glory, for others' good, and for our joy. Whatever it is we're going through, it is for his glory, for others' good, that's why he still has us here, for others to be saved and know the gospel, and for our joy. Whatever it is, for his glory, for others' good, and our joy. That our joy would be full in Christ. I pray that your joy be full and overflowing in Christ. I pray that as people say, how are you doing? And you think about your circumstances, that you think beyond that. You think about who you are in Christ. And therefore, your answer doesn't have to always reflect just your horizontal. It gets to reflect the vertical. When people get to see you going through hard times, they get to go up to you and go, why are you so weird? How are you joyful? How are you happy? How how do you have peace in the midst of this? Because I know Jesus and I know who I am in him. And that's not something I came up with. It's based on this proven holy scriptures. I pray that you would not settle for temporary happiness that's built on fleeting circumstances. I pray that you would know true joy in God. I pray that if nothing else this morning, if not yet ready to repent and believe in him today, this morning, I pray you would do it now and not later and truly die to yourself to live for Christ. If not yet ready, that at least you would be wrecked enough to leave here and start asking questions of the people who claim Christ around you. That there's no more important priority of your days than to do business with these truths. That we would join with the psalmist who says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, 4. And in chapter 16, 11, the psalmist says, In your presence, Lord, is the fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you, do you get that? Do you have that? That your joy is not in the things, not in the current standing, but in Jesus? This is what the angels came to announce that night. This is what Jesus came to bring us. Jesus is the prize, the only one worthy of our praise. Is God your exceeding joy, as it says in Psalm 43.4? Or as David says in the most famous Psalm 23, verse 5 and 6, to the good shepherd... You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup, it overflows. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus says that your joy will be full in him. Is it full? Is it overflowing? Is your joy overflowing? Because it's not connected to the horizontal, but connected to Jesus. Is it brimmed out? David says, my cup's overflowing. Do you notice where his cup is overflowing? In the presence of his enemies. The verse before, in the valley of the shadow of death. This is the joy we have in Christ. The joy that endures and carries us through the valley of the shadow of death. A joy that we will have forevermore in God, in his kingdom. We have much to rejoice in today. Amen? Pray with me. Father, you are a good God. And you have done a marvelous thing that we truly do not deserve. We were true enemies of you. Our lives made about us, made about our our own selfish pleasures, our own sinful addictions and pursuits, our self-righteous actions of quote-unquote good is all insufficient. It all is far, far short of the glory of God. I pray today that we would hear and treasure the good news of great joy. That is the arrival of Christ, the life of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. That if those who are in this room have not truly surrendered their lives, that they would trust their lives to Jesus and count it their great joy to know him, to grow in him, to serve him the rest of their days. For those of us who know him, that we would that we, we would be like the shepherds. We would run the streets. We would not be politically correct. We would share with everyone that you put in our path this good news. That the opportunity to share the gospel with the person in the parking lot as we run to the grocery store and get that item that we forgot for holiday dinner, that holiday dinner being late, if it means we get to share the gospel with that person in the parking lot, that's the best part of Christmas. best part of Christmas, Lord, is the opportunity to, to treasure you. A few Christmases ago when our house was burglarized, when all of our stuff was stolen, our stuff was turned over, and my wife and I and our kids got to be reminded tangibly that that stuff's temporary, that our treasure is with you. That our joy is in you. May it be so for each person in this room. Do your work and hear us as we respond in song and this week in the celebration of the birth of the Messiah, King Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray.